We've briefly, over the last two weeks, looked at the historical books of the New Testament. Because in July and August, remember, we're looking at a brief overview of the New Testament. So far, we've looked at the 400 years, the four Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles. We're looking at Paul's letters today. Then over the next few weeks, we've got some other of Paul's letters next week, non-Pauline letters the week after, then Revelation, then a general sort of finish to the series. So today we're looking at Paul's letters to the churches. And I'm sure you could tell me what all those letters are. You don't need to tell me because they're going to be on the screen in a minute anyway. But at the heart of these letters, I think, is a pastor's concern for wildly different groups of people. And that's why we've got all these lovely, bright and different colours, because that just reminds me of what the church is like. We're all kind of different. We're a spectrum, aren't we? Sort of different ages and all that sort of stuff. So the church that Paul was writing to is just like that, just like we are. Different people, but all having a faith in Christ. Now, I found something really rare on the internet this week. And I bet you've never seen it before. That's Paul the Apostle. It's a rare photograph I found. (laughs) You're laughing. I don't know why. That's a rare photograph of Paul the Apostle and he's standing by the Dead Sea. Okay, it's not. I just made that up. But that's the only thing I'm making up today. But, well, I hope so anyway. (laughs) I don't intend to make anything else up. But Paul wrote or was written about for about a third of the New Testament. And so what we're going to do for the next sort of few minutes is just have a look at what Paul was like, whether he looked like that with a beard and, or not, whether his favourite colour was green, I don't know. But the thing is, he was a, a person, wasn't he? He was someone who was alive, someone that God used. So I've got a few quick things here that we can just think about Paul. So we know he was uh, born as Saul. Who do you think he was named after? King Saul, I reckon. I mean, he might have had a great uncle on the mother's side called Saul as well, but probably after King Saul, I'd imagine that would be a good thing. His father was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee as well. He studied the Old Testament with this very excellent rabbi. Uh, He was zealous in his faith, but that meant he persecuted the church. And we know a lot about that. But then he had a dramatic conversion when he was on the way to Damascus to sort out the church and sort of persecute them. He met Jesus, didn't he, in a really dramatic way. But then for the next 10 or 13 years or so, he just went quiet. We don't really know what happened much to him. Apart from, it says in Galatians, how he went to Arabia and Damascus. And then he was a really busy person for God, moving around the sort of Mediterranean on three missionary journeys and then going to Rome. And then he was under house arrest in Rome for a couple of years or so because of his faith in God. But then because he was a Roman citizen, he wasn't crucified like Peter and a lot of the other uh, disciples and apostles But he had a quick execution by being beheaded by Nero, saying he needs to die. So because he was a Roman citizen, that's what happened to him. This is is what we're not doing today then. So there was Paul's letters to individuals that we're going to look at next week. 
That was 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. And then there's the other letters that we're going to look at in two weeks' time with Hyungjin. Hebrews, James, Peter, John and Jude. We'll be looking at those then. So what we're looking at today are the other letters or epistles. All epistles mean is it's just a Greek word meaning letter. So if people say epistle, they're just saying, oh, letter. That's all it is. Do you like receiving letters? Proper letters, not bills and things in a post, because we don't want those, do we? But if someone sent you a postcard or a card, that's really nice to receive, isn't it? So I'm imagining being in these churches that Paul sent the letters to and thinking, oh, great, that's Paul sending a letter to us. And how good that would be that perhaps you're a small group, don't know, 20, 30, 40 or more people meeting together and then this bigwig sends a letter to you. And you'll be really pleased, really happy to have that come. So what letters have we got that Paul wrote? Rome. Now, Rome is interesting because all the other churches, we think he visited before he wrote the letters. But Rome, he hadn't gone to Rome, but he had influence there. Then, of course, Corinth. We've got two of those letters. But a lot of people think, because of what's in the Bible, there were two others. So when we say 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Fiona. Pardon? What does extant mean? Extant letters. What's in, what's extant? Oh, uh, those that, are, that we have. Extant. Letters that we have that still exist. In a few minutes' time, you'll see. Yeah, so these are the letters that we've got, that you've got, because they're here. But there are other letters, we think. And this is part of it. So, Corinthians... He didn't just write two letters. We know he wrote four. So 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians really is 2 Corinthians and 4 Corinthians because he wrote other letters in between. Galatia, Ephesus. It's not just Ephesians. There was a one Ephesians before we have our two Ephesians, people think. Uh, Philippi, Colossae, and then uh, Thessalonica. So all these are the places that he wrote to. And most of them were a church in a city, apart from Galatia. Because, as you can see from the map, Galatia is an area rather than a specific city or town. Whereas all the other places, we think, were just one church that you'd be read to. But the, one in the letter to the Galatians would have been a circular letter, people think, where it went to one group of believers and then it would have moved on to another group of believers. So lots of churches would have been blessed by what you're saying there. Now, I've got a question for you. It's not rhetorical this time. Out of all of these letters, then, that we have, what's the basic thing that all nine letters have in common? Say it again. They're from Paul. Eleanor is brilliant. The first word in all nine letters says Paul. Yeah. If you look at it later, because I've been looking at them this week, the first word every time is Paul. Because you can imagine those years ago, they didn't have paper like us. What did they have instead? Scrolls. And so when you unravel your scroll, unroll your scroll, who do you want to see at the beginning? The person who sent it. Because then you can either put it somewhere because it's not so important, or you can think, I'm going to read this straight away because this is of the utmost importance. 
and I don't know why we put our names at the end now. Maybe someone will tell me later. But at those times, the person's name went up the front. Then they'd say a bit of a greeting. Then it was the bulk of the message, like some information or encouragement or exhortation. And then there was some individual uh, messages to people that he knew. And then it was a, see you then, God bless, at the end. That's kind of the, the main format. If we want to know the dates when they were written, that's probably, remember the C's, that's probably where they are. Because if you look at them, most of them are written in all kinds of places. But the Galatians, we don't know if it was the first book, because there's a few theories whether it was sent to the northern area of Galatia or the southern area of Galatia. Read it for yourself. It's ever so interesting, but we've got no time to think about that. But it might be that Galatians was the first book that was written, or the first letter that was written, or it might be that 1 Thessalonians was the first book that was written. But the thing is, like we were saying about that word extant earlier, I think Paul would have written other letters because he went to other places. If you sort of see the list on the right-hand side, like he went to Cyprus, he went to Athens. Some of these places are in Galatia, like Derby. That's in Galatia anyway, so we're kind of there covered. But I'm probably thinking he wrote letters to them as well. And there's a clue in Colossians 4. And I bet you've read this and you remember it anyway, but I'll read it out. So Colossians 4, 14 to 18. Our dear friend Luke the doctor, we know him, don't we? Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nymphia and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So Laodicea and Colossae were very close to each other. So he's saying, yeah, I've spent money getting a messenger to take this letter to you, but now why don't one of you just take it a couple of miles to the other church so they can read it as well? So even though we've got lots of good letters in the Bible, Paul definitely wrote other letters because it says so just there, as well as me just thinking about it. A few months ago, uh, some of us met together to read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now, on the 28th of September, we're going to read a little bit more of the Bible together. It's a Saturday, and we're going to be reading Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And there's no definite times or anything yet, but probably it will start 8 o'clock and finish 1.40 or so. So, 28th September, but we'll get more details about that very soon. So, they're not in chronological order. So, is there some order to it? Because you know the sort of person I am. I like things in order, at certain times, that's the way I like it. But is that what happened in the Bible? Is Paul's, are Paul's letters in a certain order? Yes, great answer. Would you like to guess what that order is? I'm so glad Tanya at the back was whispering, it's the number of Greek words in the letter. Tanya, well done. That's great. Because Romans has more Greek words in it than any other. It has, I didn't count it, 7,101, uh, no, 7,111 different Greek words. Whereas 2 Thessalonians has 823 
There's a bit of an anomaly, though. That's all true from Romans going down to Thessalonica, but the Ephesians has 192 words more than Galatians. So that's a bit of an anomaly. But I think it's brilliant, and you all know this as well, because I think God had a sense of humour when he put these epistles in that order. Because it helps us to remember the order, doesn't it? Galatians A, Ephesus E, Philippi I, Colossae O, and then Thessalonica at the end. So it's the order of the vowels. So when I was learning the order of the books of the Bible, when I was 12 or something, I just used to remember, oh, it's so easy, A-E-I-O, just the order of the vowels, the first vowels in the books. So to me, that's God's humour, saying, ha, 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 let's put them in the order of the vowels in the English language. That's what I think, anyway, because God has got a sense of humour, isn't he? And so even though they're not definitely in order, word order, that's what I think God might have done. Just inspired people. You've probably got other theories. I'm glad you're smiling. That means you've got other theories. But I think it's brilliant. God's got a sense of humour, and that could be it. Of course, it could be way off the wall. But did you learn the order of the Bible books like that? A-E-I-O? Or did you just know it? No. Oh, good. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's, let's move on. Okay. Why did Paul write these letters? It was that uh, subheading on the title page. It's a pastor's concerns for widely different groups of people. He wrote to those churches because he loved them. He wrote to them because he wanted to help them, to encourage them, to give them more information. Remember, writing letters in those days was even more expensive than it is sending a letter nowadays, because it costs quite a bit to send a letter, doesn't it, relatively to what it was years ago. In those days, there was an imperial Roman postal service, but it was the Romans, Roman officials, that used it. So a normal person like Paul would need to have a person, a messenger, to take the scroll and on a donkey or a horse or walking or whatever it might be to actually put it in the hands of the person it was to. So very few people would have sent letters, just mainly mainly Roman officials and wealthy people. But Paul wrote these letters, long letters, because they were really important and it mattered to him because he had a pastor's concern. A pastor's concern for all those different groups of people. Now here's a definite photo. St Paul was a bit of a red herring earlier. This is a definite photo that none of you have seen before. And this is, remember, we took two lots of photos a few months ago. This is the first lot of photos. And you can see that a lot of people have just got three quarters or half of a face. And that's why I had to retake it again, because we couldn't put that on the wall, because it wouldn't be so effective. But here's the point. All of us are very different from each other. We like different colours. We're like different ages. We've probably got different hobbies, different things we prefer to eat. And that's just like any church should be. But the thing is, and I've written all those sort of things down, I want to get to know you better. I've been kind of the minister, if you like, for six months since January. It's been just over six months now. And I want to start visiting people a lot more than I do. So if you get an email from me, 
or a call, it doesn't mean, oh no, what's that going to happen? Why does he want to come and see me? What it is, is a time of blessing. A time of blessing for me, because I'm going to get some free cake and stuff like that. But also, it's a time when we can pray together and I can hear what's your thought about God and where we're going and what you think and what's your Christianity like and how we can develop the church together. Do you know what I mean? So if you hear the phone going and think, oh, could that be John? It might be. And just think, oh, this is going to be a blessed time. It's going to be lovely. We're going to have a great time together. Okay. So, but don't forget, free cake. I'll be talking about cake a little bit later. Okay. What are the major themes of these books then? We've got quite a few. So I've put how many? One, two, three, four, five different ones. There are loads more. So the last one is an etc. But you could make more up, especially the ones that are more scholarly amongst us. Okay? So here's the first one. God the Father. Paul talks about God the Father a lot. And for each of these examples, I've written a scripture. So I'm going to read the scripture out. Romans 5, 6 to 8. And all of these are... When I've... Sorry. I get excited about the Bible. I've really got excited about all of these this week because they're really exciting. When the time was right, this is from The Voice, the anointed one died for all of us who were far from God, powerless and weak. Now it is rare to find someone willing to die for an upright person, although it's possible that someone may give up his life for one who is truly good. But think about this. While we were wasting our lives in sin, God revealed his powerful love to us in a tangible display. The anointed one died for us. And that's Romans 5, 6 to 8. Now, Charles Wesley is one of my favourite hymn writers. Perhaps he is to you as well. And he wrote over 6,000 hymns. But in 1747, he wrote this particular verse about heaven. And it contains this line. Lost in wonder, love and praise. Remember the hymn, Love Divine, isn't it? But lost in wonder, love and praise. And I've been thinking about that hymn this week. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, we're talking about... God and its tangible display and being, we're powerless, but God did something. If we're going to wonder about something, we can't do it in five seconds. We can't do it in ten minutes. If we're going to be lost in wonder, we've got to give time to it. It demands your time to be lost in wonder about God. And I read those verses very quickly. But maybe when you're at home, you can look at some of these verses at home a lot more and just spend an hour just looking at them and saying, Lord, help me to meditate and glorify you for what you've done. That was God the Father. God the Son, his deity, birth, life, death, resurrection and ascension. So I'm going to read some verses from Colossians. And this is from the message this time, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. 
He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organises and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. That's wonderful, isn't it? And again, you might know it in a different version, but maybe over this week, just spend time looking at some of these verses in different versions and get lost in wonder, love and praise as you read them. God the Holy Spirit, our reliance on and our daily need of, Galatians 5. And this this time is from the Amplified Bible. But the fruit of the Spirit, the result of his presence within us, is love unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience, not the ability to wait, but how we act while waiting, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature together with its passions and appetites. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk in step with the Spirit, with personal integrity, godly character and moral courage, our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. We must not become conceited, challenging or provoking one another, envying one another. So that was Galatians 5. Again, I want to encourage you, just read some of these things at home. I'm saying it for everyone, but there's so much we could just get out of just by pondering, meditating, wondering about them a little more. Paul also talked about the church. That's all of us, about who we are in God and how to live for God. So this is from 1 Thessalonians, and I'm reading from the J.B. Phillips uh, paraphrase. Be happy in your faith at all times. Never stop praying. So this is to us, the church, remember. Be thankful, whatever the circumstances may be. If you follow this advice, you will be working out the will of God expressed to you in Christ Jesus. Never damp the fire of the Spirit. And never despise what is spoken in the name of the Lord. By all means, use your judgment and hold on to whatever is really good. Steer clear of evil in any form. May the God of peace make you holy through and through. May you be kept in soul and mind and body in spotless integrity until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is utterly faithful and he will finish what he has set out to do. That's 1 Thessalonians. And of course, just going back to what would happen when Paul sent this scroll, this letter or epistle to them, they wouldn't have just read little extracts like we do today and like we do most weeks. We just read a little bit. They would have read the whole lot in one go. This is Paul's letter. Let's listen to it all. And so some of his letters, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, take quite a while to read, but they'd have read it in one go. How about this then? Lots more. Read them out yourself to find out. So here's, uh, this is something I really like, because sometimes Paul's writing what he wants to say to the church, then all of a sudden he just can't help himself. Praise the Lord! God is brilliant! And there's these doxologies that happen 
in Paul's writing because he just can't help writing about what's in his life and what he knows of God. And Ephesians 3, 20, 21, from the King James Version, is wonderful. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly. What a brilliant phrase. Above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So you can just imagine Paul dictating his letter, or maybe writing some of the letters, and just suddenly he just rips out with this praise to God and saying, thank you, Lord, for the wonderful things that you've done in my life and in the life of these people that I'm sending this letter to. Now, if you know the uh, Monty Python sketches, they had a phrase, didn't they? They certainly did, from a few years ago, because we've looked at the order they're written, we've looked at the major themes, we've looked at Paul's life, and so how about now for something completely different? It's now time for a very practical application. Earlier, I was saying about cake. Chocolate cake, one of my favourites. I thought, just because we've got time, I'd make some chocolate cake now. Is that okay? That is why this table is here. Okay? Now, we haven't got a lot of time, so I've got all the ingredients here. So all I'm going to do, I've got my... uh, I'm like a magi- magician doing this, aren't I? I know, but, but I'm going to do that anyway. So I've got my uh, thing for the oven. So now I'm just going to put some ingredients right into there. Don't interrupt just yet. There might be a question I'll ask you in a minute. Okay, we've got some self-raising flour. Love that. That's going to be very nice. Uh, I, went, I was out of eggs, so I haven't brought any eggs. But just imagine the eggs are going in. I've got a bit of caster sugar. That's always a good thing. And uh, there we go. A bit of chocolate. Shove that in, because that would be great chocolate cake. What do you reckon? Is that just going to be so delicious when it comes out of the oven? Probably not. Oh, I feel all sheepish now. (laughs) This was going so well until you mentioned that. What do I need to do? Did someone say get Jill to do it? (laughs) I learned this from Jill, as it happens. What do I need to do? I've got to stir it. It's no good having the ingredients there if I don't stir it. Yeah, I need some other things. Just imagine those other things. I could have bought them, but I did have eggs at home, but it's the heat. It's the butter, is the heat. So I just brought a few ingredients to give you the idea. All right. This is more important than the ingredients. The stirring. Stirring is really important. It's very important to stir. I looked on a website this week. I didn't know such a website existed. But this website was all about stirring. It was. You can look it up. There's a website about stirring. And it gives three reasons. This is is not made up. This is from a website. I've just copy and pasted it. Reasons to stir. 
to create a homogeneous mixture, to evenly disperse temperature, to alter the viscosity of a liquid, making it thicker or thinner. This is really important. I like to make myself laugh, and sometimes you might laugh just because it's happening. But this is really serious. God wants to stir some things in your life. That word, homogenous, is to make uniform. It's no good if God is in your life on a Sunday morning, but he isn't, he isn't mixed through into all your life. God is calling us to be radical now. We can't just live Christianity a little bit in our lives. God wants to stir something in us. He wants to have himself in our lives. And stirring, sometimes it can be really easy. A little whisk in here. But sometimes the ingredients really need a lot of elbow grease. A lot of work to get them worked in. Because there's nothing worse than a lumpy sauce or lumpy cake. All the ingredients need to be mixed in. God wants to do the stirring in our lives. God used Jesus to stir people's thoughts and actions. They'd say, did he just say that? What was he talking about? I don't understand that. I know the scriptures, the Old Testament for us. Now, now this is happening. I need to love my neighbour. I need to forgive people. Jesus stirred people. God used Paul to stir people in his letters on of his travels. And if you read some of these epistles at home this week, you'll see that he was stirring. He was saying things that were hard, things that wouldn't be easy to put into practice. And yet God was saying, do it. It's for your good. It's for your benefit. God wants to stir you today. He doesn't want you to live as you have been for the last five years or ten years. He wants to stir something new, something dynamic, something wonderful. He wants it to be a milestone today where you can just say, Lord, please stir something in my life. Like you stirred something in Paul's life, that dramatic conversion at Damascus. But that's not the end. God then wants to stir others through you. When he stirs us, it's not just to give us a lovely time. It's so he's glorified, so that his kingdom is extended. We're thinking about Paul being a pastor and his concerns for the churches. But where did Paul get that from? From God. Because really, it was God's concerns for the churches there. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Remember, that was one of the verses that we read out. I've got a question. I don't want you to answer it. I just want you to think about it. It's not an easy question. But God wants to stir us. Today, will you say goodbye to complacency, apathy, sameness, frustration, hurts, looking mainly to the past, unforgiveness and unbelief.
Will you allow God to stir you today? It's easy sometimes to be stirred, and it might be a little stirring that God's going to do in your life today or tomorrow. Sometimes God's going to do something big and strong and mighty. But we still need to have our arms open, our hearts in tune with him, and say, Lord, whatever the stirring is in my life over the next few days, do it. God stirred Paul, and then Paul worked for God in incredible ways. We serve the same God as Paul. Nothing is different at all. So let's allow God to stir us in a light way, a strong way, an in-between way. Because we know that as we are stirred, and other people are stirred, so God is magnified and praised and exalted. So Jill's going to lead some response in a few minutes about this stirring and open our hearts to God. But I'm just going to pray, just to finish off, that God would help us when the stirring comes. Thank you, Lord, that you are mighty, that you are lovely. We praise you for who you are, Lord. Thank you that Paul was changed. He was stirred because of what you did in his life. Come and stir us, God. We don't want to stay as we are. Thank you for what we have experienced in the past. Thank you, Lord, for all the times you have stirred us already in our lives. But Lord, today, we don't want to rest on our laurels, either individually or collectively as a church. We want to move on with you. We want our ears to be open to the stirrings you want us to have in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the ingredients that we are in your hands, the clay we are in your hands, Lord. So come and do your work through us, Lord. Come be powerful in our lives so that you're glorified and your kingdom is extended, Lord. Amen. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Oh God, we thank you that your hand is on us and you know us better than we know ourselves, better than we ever could. Lord, we want to be willing ingredients in your cake mix. We want to be willing to be stirred and mixed and for all the lumps to be broken and dispersed. We want to be mixed together into the, the mix of people that you want us to be here at NCF, here in your church, in your church across the wider environment. Lord, thank you that as, in, as individuals, Lord, you are able to use us in the bigger picture. And so, God, we want to submit 
ourselves to you and to what you want to do with us. You are God. You are the cook, the chef. We are the mixture. Help us to be led by you during this time, God. As, as we come to you now, Lord, will you take our hearts and, and move us to, to the place where you want us to be. Help us to, um, to sing honestly and to respond honestly to you this morning. God, I thank you that in your hands we are safe, that your grace covers us and is immense. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that we don't need to be scared of being in your cake mix. Amen.